Um, you know, sometimes we have to make hard choices in life to give up one thing to move on to something better. There's a lot of things in life that are like that. And, and oftentimes it's when we're letting go of one thing to move on to something better, I mean, we have to have our hands pried off of that first thing because we don't realize what's next or at least how good it's going to be. After my first two years of college, I, I had been moving towards getting a degree in biology. I actually did get an associate's degree in biology from the community college I went to. But um, that whole time, God just working on me to go a different direction, which obviously I did. Um, and I fought it and fought it and fought it, got all the way through community college, which I'm glad I did. I mean, it's good sound. You know, my parents were like, just go through, get your degree, if you feel there's a change that needs to be made, then you can make it, right? Sounds so good. And I was fine with that. And I was fine that, okay, I did my thing. I completed, got a degree. Now I'm going to go on, um, finish a couple years of Bible college and maybe see what God has for me then. Um, and that was all good and well until I got the notification um, from Lincoln Christian. Then it was college, now university, where I would be going, uh, that those two years of science classes, all of the anatomy microbiology, botany, and other various science classes, that those don't transfer well to a Bible college where they have you take one science class. And so I found that in transferring, I was going to lose over a year of credits. And that was a hard decision to make. And when I found that out, there were more than a few people in my life who were like, well, let's rethink this choice. Do you really want to lose all of that credit uh, as you transfer on? Um, namely, my parents who paid for all of those science classes and footed the bill along the way. Um, but that was a tough call um, that, you know... Every step of the way, it was hard for me to make that choice. Um, and that one, to move from being an almost junior to going back to being a freshman in college was a real, like, kick in the teeth, it felt like, in that moment. But ultimately, greatest decision, I mean, every, everything I have in my life now is a result of making that choice. Well, today we're going to finish up this series called Giving Up. And we've been talking about the cost of following Jesus. Um, it's, there's no cost to becoming a follower of Jesus and finding salvation through Jesus. But Jesus, when we put our faith in him, we realize he has something way better for us than we would pick for ourselves. And he wants to lead us down a path that leads to greater human flourishing. It's better for us in every, uh, every uh, feasible way. And so that means, though, that if we truly want to follow Jesus, that we're going to have to change how we live our lives. And we're going to have to give up a lot of things that were considered normal and fine and good up until that point. And as much as... That can be scary or daunting to kind of decide, once you start realizing what all you're going to have to let go of to follow Jesus, to truly follow Jesus. Once we realize, though, that with Jesus, every other thing is a win. No matter what you have to give up, it is worth it to follow Jesus. And so throughout this whole series, we've kind of defined this cost of following Jesus by just saying, wait, what did I do? Did I go too far? Oh, I never got to the first. There we go. Um, it says, following Jesus means giving up certain things so we can follow him to better things. And again, sometimes it's hard to realize those things are better in the beginning when you can't quite see the whole 
pathway. Now, if you've missed any of the things we've talked about so far in the series, um, I would encourage you to go back. You can watch them on um, our website, loamicc.com messages, or you can go to Facebook, to our Facebook page, and watch the whole service replayed. Those are still always there. But I think today, what we're going to talk about is maybe the hardest one yet, um, because we've talked about giving up kind of control, uh, giving up our desires, saying, okay, God, not what I want, but what you want. And last week, we talked about giving up glory and fame and honor and praise and all that stuff so that God could be made more famous through our lives. And those things are all good and well, and everybody is probably fine with that because, yeah, you tell people, I, you know what, I do need to give up more glory. You know what, I do need to let God have a little more control over my life. Yeah, you know what, I do have some desires in my heart that God's way is better. It's easy for us to say those things, and there's really no way that anyone could come along and be like, have you done it? Did you do it? Did you give up more glory this week? Were you, were you able to say God's will, not my will, more this week than last week? And it's fine because we can't really measure it. We can't really see the glory leaving our life. We can't really see our desires going away and God's desires getting stronger. But what we're going to talk about today is something that is very measurable and something that we can see leaving our lives as we give it up. That's money. And that's everyone's favorite topic for someone to talk about in church. Uh, the thing that hurts the most about giving up money is that you can count every dollar, every penny that goes away. Um, if you're a cash-using person, you count those dollar bills before you put them in the offering box. If you're a check-writing person or, uh, or you do it online, you can get into your online banking and you can see that money going away. Now, I'm mostly a frugal person. Uh, who tries to practice financial diligence. In the terms of, of Dave Ramsey, he says, in, a, in every marriage, there's a nerd and a free spirit. I am the nerd. Almost exclusively, I'm always the, do we have to spend money on that? Should we buy this? Is it, you know, I'd be, you know, I didn't have anything hanging on my walls until after we got married. Like, and I lived in that house for like a year and a half. And never hung a single thing on the wall. Why would I? It costs money. I don't need anything on the wall. I'm go- I just sleep and eat there and stare at the TV. I'm not staring at the walls, you know. I'm just the really frugal kind of person. And, and sometimes when I will check our online banking, because we do, we do online giving, and I'll see that transaction go, every now and then my imagination will grab a hold of me. And start doing math without even, you know, my, you know how sometimes your thoughts just kind of take off and you don't really, you're not in control of them. Sometimes my imagination will take control and start doing math and thinking, you know, if you didn't give this money away, here's some things that you could add into your life. Um, Whether it's eating out more. By the way, I would love to have never have to buy grocery shop or cook food ever again. Like, there's something about me when I hear celebrities talk about, like, their chef then I'm like, what snobs? But I cannot deny that if I had any money, I would have a chef. I mean, that's one of the first things I would get. Someone to clean and someone to cook. Um, I think I could think about, you know, oh, the retirement money that we could have. Because since I'm the nerd, I think about the future, right? How much retirement money we could have saved away if we didn't give to church. I imagine the cars we have, the vacations we could take. Um, Abby and I have been giving faithfully since we've been married, and this isn't a huge temptation, but again, every now and then, you know, you know those things like, that's not a big temptation for me, but every now and then, something catches your attention. Um, I was scrolling through Instagram a while back, and I came across this account where all they do is just share quick little videos of beautiful places in Switzerland. 
I didn't even know I wanted to go to Switzerland. And I started following that account because, like, that's really pretty. I didn't know it was that pretty there. The, the Swiss Alps, I mean, it's just stunningly gorgeous. These towns built at the base of these unbelievably huge cliffs and mountains. It's just breathtaking. And now it's like, you know, if I didn't give that much money to the church, I'll bet I could swing a plane ticket to Sweden. Um, there's, uh, I see a lot of people post family pictures going to Disney World. Abby and I went to Disney World for our honeymoon and loved every second of it. You think, is there stuff to do there when you don't have kids? Yeah, it's way more fun, I think, than if you don't have kids. Um, there was all great restaurants, all kinds of fun stuff to do. Um, and I see people posting pictures, and I'm like, man, I would love to go back to Disney World, and especially with the new Star Wars part that they've added. That looks pretty fun. I would totally be the, the dummy that you see. Like Some of you have seen this stuff, and you go, who actually builds as an adult? Who goes and builds a lightsaber? This guy would build a lightsaber, okay? And so I see that, so I'm like, man, that would be fun. And if I didn't give so much, I could do that. I uh, think about, like I said, cars. Um, a year ago, about not quite a year ago, uh, at the end of the summer last year, we were driving our older blue van into Chatham, and out of nowhere, this deer just runs out of a cornfield and just runs straight into the side of our van, took the mirror off, put a huge dent in the pa- uh, driver's door, and then the running board, you know how older cars, they get rusty, right? Apparently that running board was 90% rust, and when that deer hit it, it just, it just disintegrated. And so half of the running board is gone, and what's there is kind of floppy. And so every now and then I'll pull into parks and place in that van, and I'll get out and I'll shut the door, and then you see rust just kind of sprinkle out. And, you know, sometimes that's, sometimes I'm like, I don't care, I'm frugal and I'm saving money, I don't need a nicer car, it's just a running board, who cares, right? And, but depending on who sees that, it's like, oh gosh, it's like, you know, I could probably get a car with a full running board if I didn't give all that money to the church. And so there's all of these things that take off in my brain and, and kind of start wondering, what could I do if I wasn't as faithful in this one area? And, and what's tough again about it is because there's an actual value to it. There's a, you can see, this costs this much, I give this much. If I didn't give this much, I could take this chunk and put it into this, and it would, you know, it's, you can see exactly what you could get if you weren't giving that away. But regardless of my desires or your desires on the topic, um, the Bible teaches that Christians are to be people who are generous with what God gives them. Whether that is our skills or our energy or our time or opening our homes to people to be hospitable, Um, I almost said hostile, that was not it, Uh, to be hospitable or even when it comes to money. We're just called to be people who are generous. And not only are we called to be generous in the sense of kind of holding our money and stuff with an open hand, the, the Bible specifically kind of calls us and leads us in the direction of giving money to our local church. So following Jesus is going to mean giving money away to your church. Uh, now, I understand how incredibly self-serving that looks when a church leader whose money and paycheck comes from the church stands up and tells you to give money to the church. Um, and we have been kind of conditioned over the last 50, 60, 70 years um, by watching televangelists fall and have you know big scandals where they used money, and it still happens. You know where these guys will get up and say, "You need to give to my ministry, and if you send in a hundred dollars, I'll send you this holy water vial that's been blessed and prayed over, and then God will bless you." Or they'll 
give you some nonsense prosperity gospel stuff where if you throw $1,000 into my ministry, God will give that money back to you tenfold. And, and we see this stuff all the time, and it just puts a sad, bad taste in our mouth because you see these guys always asking for financial gain, and then you realize that their parsonage is a ridiculous mansion, and their main mode of transportation is a private jet. And you're like, okay, how much of this money is actually going to doing ministry or doing good work? Um, and you know, as a church, um, we have a very good income for a church our size. We always have more than we need. We have very faithful givers here. Um, but even though we have extra, that doesn't go to me or Abby, we both work for the church. That doesn't go to us or the elders. The way our finances are handled is we have uh, a deacon who oversees mainly the finances. Reports are turned in constantly of all, of all ins and outs. Um, we have helpers that ensure nothing bad is happening and that everything is counted and checked and balanced. Um, Abby and I never handle the money. Um, the closest we get to handling money is we might take that offering box off the table and put it in the office after Sunday's over. Um, we don't see dollars and bills. We're not counting them and maybe taking a 20 out and no one would know. That kind of stuff doesn't happen. Um, and so even though there have been a lot of bad examples that taught us to feel when skeptical when church leaders ask for money, um, I do want to let you know, we're not here to trick you, and I'm not here to trick you into making me rich. Um, if you want to know that I'm not rich, again, see Blue Van from this side, it looks okay. Go to the other side, you'll see the giant dent in the door that's not worth fixing and the running board that is barely there. Um, uh, so I'm not trying to make me wealthy. Um, we're not trying to fund a luxury, all-expense-paid trip to Disney World for me and my family, although maybe the kids didn't get a ticket. That'd be a shame. Abby and I have to go again on our own. Um, I'm not here to sell you some prosperity gospel nonsense. Um, I just want to help you understand what the New Testament says about faithful generosity and how Christians should handle their money. But more than that, I want to help you understand why it says what it says. Um, because it gets so abused in our world. However, if you do ever see me driving like a DeLorean with gullwing doors, dropping my kids off at school, feel free to ask some questions. Feel free to be suspicious. Now, one of the main reasons why we get uneasy talking about this, like I said, um, is the scandal stuff. But the other reason is because we have really, really misunderstood what the church is. We have really struggled in our modern age to understand what the church is supposed to be. Um, because we live in a world of infinite options. Infinite options. Whatever you want, you have numerous options about how to go about getting it. Um, Casey and I have a running joke about a really bad McDonald's that we go to. And the fact that even though they're so bad... We keep going to it because it's in a convenient location. Okay? But one day, I assume either they're going to get better or I'm going to get fed up. And when I get fed up, what can I do? Drive like three minutes down the road to another McDonald's. Um, or maybe I wise up and go to the far superior Chick-fil-A. Um, but um, we have a movie. We have multiple movie theaters in the area. Whatever your favorite one is, if they, if you find that the floor is always sticky and gross, and and the bathrooms are nasty, and the movie's always just a little out of focus, what do you do? You drive five minutes to the other side of town, and you go to a different theater. Okay, we are so used to having places to go to meet our whims and and needs that 
if they don't, we'll just go to a different place, okay? You get burned with customer service at Lowe's, go to Menards. You get food poisoning at Darcy's, uh, go to Dublin Pub. Like that's, I mean, there's just infinite ways we can solve this problem. And so what we do is that when we find a place that doesn't meet our needs, we leave and we don't go back. And what has happened is that we have, in, since, like, I would say last century when this took over, we started to have that same perspective on the church. Someone rude to you at church? Was uh, somebody, did somebody do something or say something to hurt your feelings? Um, is the music maybe not your particular vibe? Is the preaching too boring, too dry, too serious, too heavy, too light, too whatever? Well, you know what you can do? You can just grab your stuff and grab your family and walk down the road and find another church. Because in the area of the world that we live in, uh, area of the country that we live in, there are churches just about as frequently as there are McDonald's. And so you can find another church very easily. And so that's kind of how a lot of Christians have chose to look at the church. It's like a restaurant or it's like um, a movie theater where you go and the church is supposed to serve you and meet all of your needs. And if they don't, you just go find another church. And we church shop and we church hop and we go in search of a church that makes sense for us is kind of the way we often say it. But what if church isn't meant to be like that? What if that's only a recent way of viewing this thing that God invented called the church? What if we are wrong to put the same uh, church in the same category as restaurants and fast food places and other things like that? And so if you're a Christian, again, you're not supposed to go to church like you go to the movies or go to a restaurant. No, this, the church is something that you become a part of. Like, you didn't come to church this morning, you showed up as the church this morning. Like, we, the people, are the church. And you aren't meant to look at the church as if you are a customer and the church, everything else, is here to serve you. No, when the New Testament describes the church, not like a visit or a business that you visit, it, it describes it more like a family to which you belong and become a meaningful part of. And... Um, when you look at how the New Testament commands and talks to people in churches, in fact, if you remember, like most of the New Testament is letters written by pastors, church planners, and apostles to a whole church. And when you look at how these people talk to the whole church, it becomes very obvious that they're not talking to customers sitting in a restaurant or people sitting in a movie theater, but something much more meaningful and much more significant. And it talks that we are supposed to be a family that loves one another, that cares for one another. In fact, um, there's two words that get used a lot to describe how we're supposed to treat one another in the New Testament. Um, the New Testament was written in an ancient form of Greek that is dead, that nobody has to learn anymore except Bible college students, and it's called Koine Greek. And one thing that's different about Greek um, was that they had multiple words for different kinds of love. There was a different word for romantic love as there was for family love or friendship love. There was different words that meant love in these different types of ways. Um, the two that get used the most when uh, talking to the church in the New Testament are agape and Philadelphia. That one probably sounds a little familiar. Let's start with agape love first. Agape love is the kind of love that God has for us. It is always used to describe God's love for his people in the New Testament. It's the kind of love Jesus showed for us on the cross. It is sacrificial. It is selfless. It's the I'm giving up what I want 
in order for you to have what is best for you kind of love. Um, it's the love we see in John 3.16 when Jesus says, For God so loved the world, he agape the world, that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God gave because he loved. So agape is God's love for us. And God's love for us serves as kind of the standard that we are supposed to live up to when we look at how we are supposed to care for other people in the church. It's the same selfless, sacrificial, willing to die for you kind of love. In 1 John, he says this. This is still John, different book. He says, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. So he's getting ready to say, here's how you tell people who follow God and people who don't. He said, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. There are so many of these one another commands in the New Testament. And so it says we are supposed to, in, again, he's talking to a church of people. We are supposed to love one another. Who are the others? The other people in the church. So the strong command to show a familial love, selfless love to people. Now, that's not how I think when I walk into a movie theater. I don't want to get to know the people in the movie theater. In fact, I hope I don't get to know people in a movie theater. I, when I get on an airplane, I hope I don't get to know the people on the airplane. Like you just, the, you want to go into a restaurant. I don't want to know the people. I just want to have my meal most of the time, right? But when I come to church, there should be this openness about me where I look at everyone here and think, I want to know you. I need to know you. And I need you to know me as well so that we can love one another. We cannot have this disposable um, mentality when it comes to the church, which a lot of Christians these days have. But this love that we are called to have is a love that forgives when somebody does say something that upsets you. It's a love that shows grace when somebody does do something that is rude and offends you. It's a love that works things out, that serves together. A love that says, I'm willing to give up my preference for the good of the rest of the church. And that's the main type of love. Overwhelmingly, agape is the main love that is just to describe the, how Christians are to love one another. But the other one that I wanted to bring up was Philadelphia, which you already know what this means because we have a city named after it. Philadelphia is the city of what? Brotherly love. Philadelphia is just two words put together. Philos, which can be, is a type of love, and Adelphos, brother, the love of a brother. Okay? When you, I looked up the definition this week. I loved it because it said Philadelphia is literally you having the kind of love that you have for someone who came out of the same womb as you. Okay, that's pretty clear. Okay, yeah. It's brotherly love, like the kind of love you would have for someone in your family. And this shows up in several places in the New Testament as well. One of those is Romans chapter 10, where it says, Love one another with brotherly affection or brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing honor. So it's, yeah, again, it says affection here, but ultimately it's brotherly love. And the word Philadelphia is telling us that, hey, you can't just look at these people as disposable people who come and go out of your life that you don't care for. No, you're supposed to look 
at these people as if you have a blood relationship with them. Only it's not the blood from your family tree, it's the blood of Jesus that unites us together, who brings us together from different parts of life, different social classes, different skin colors, different nationalities, and we all get brought together and become one new people in Jesus. And so what we see when we look at the New Testament is that churches are not meant to be this rotating, disposable, I'll just find another one that meets my needs, but instead, your church is meant to be your family, your spiritual family that you care about. Now, not if you have a good family, this isn't saying, get rid of them, cut them off from your life, this is your new family now, you don't talk to your family anymore. That's not what this is saying. That's what cults say. But this is just as, no, we look at this like our family got bigger and we have a responsibility to one another. And that the bonds here are meant to be cared for as we care for the bonds of our family, that we are all in this together. And so in this view, or, and so this is the view of the church that we must have. And when you understand that, and you apply that to the background of your thinking, when you get to the passages that talk about generosity and giving money, it makes them make a lot more sense. It's not just one guy up on stage trying to get rich. It's often now a family affair that we need to deal with. So I'm going to give you two reasons to give to your local church. And that applies for you in the room that's here. If you're watching online, maybe now or maybe some other time you stumble across this and you have another church and you just kind of happen to be watching this, you're giving, you should give to your local church. That's the way this works. I'm not trying to get you to give here necessarily, but you give to your local church. But there are two reasons, um, and we're going to start in one of my favorite passages that describes what life in the early church was like in Acts chapter 2. Um, it's actually the first description we get of church life, and I think it's so beautiful. It's one of my favorites. Acts chapter 2, verses 42. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, meaning the being together with the other people in their church, to the breaking of bread, eating together, sharing communion together in a meal, and the prayers and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So we see here this early bonding of Christians in the church family. And what you start seeing is immediately, again, this is like the day the church started. Like from the get-go, what you start seeing is a radical desire to eliminate needs in the church, to meet the needs of anyone in the church who had any need whatsoever. And what's interesting, again, and what has always been true of the church, I already said this, these people, there were people who were coming who were at the top tier of society. There were people who were coming in who were homeless and had no idea where they were going to get food that day or if they were going to get food that day. And so we had people who had more giving so that those who had none could have something. And this was an amazing desire to reach out to those and, 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 and in, in a sense, correct some of the brokenness in the world. 
to, to say, I'm going to be the presence of Jesus coming in here to fix what has gone wrong. You see, homelessness, hunger, those aren't things God wanted in his world. And so the church gets to come into the lives of those in their church family and start meeting some of those needs. And so one, one of the reasons why Christians should give to their church is because Christians have a responsibility to care for one another. In a healthy family, all the burdens are shared. When kids are upset, kids are hurt, mom and dad hurt too. Uh, you know what's really funny and interesting, and I'm not necessarily looking forward to it, but I've seen my nieces and nephews go through some of this stuff in the last few years because they're quite a bit older than my kids. Um, but you have kids who have that first heartbreak, you know, in usually high school, and it's utter devastation. Now, as parents, aunts, uncles, we watch that and we go, yeah, that's no good. It's going to happen. It, it, but we remember the, that sting of love, you know, young love. And, and even though we know it has to happen, it's going to be okay, even for my nieces and nephews, I look at them like, man, I hate that for them. Why? Because they hurt. You don't want them to hurt, even if it's something you know is just a kind of a normal part of life. Um, and so anything that happens in a family is usually shared around among the other members of a family. And all the burdens... Um, get split up so that nobody's going through life alone. That's what was meant to happen in the church. You aren't meant to carry burdens all by yourself. I'm not meant to carry burdens all by myself. And so what this means is that my struggles aren't my struggles. My struggles are our struggles. And your struggles are our struggles. And you should care about what I'm going through and I should care about what you're going through. And you should care about what's happening in the life of the person sitting on this side and in this side. And that we can't just come in and be anonymous and walk out. That's not what the church was meant to be. We can't just say, I'll come here because I like the music and then I'm going to split. That's not what the church was meant to be. We were meant to be a place where people found real community, where we were both known and we knew others as well. And so we get a little bit bigger or clearer of a picture of how this meeting needs work in um, two chapters later in Acts chapter 4. Very similar passage, a little bit different wording, but it gives another beautiful picture of what the church was. I'm only going to read a little bit of it. Acts 4.34 says, There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. So it explains the way they give, gave was people would sell the extra they had, and they would bring it to the church, give it to the apostles, the church leaders, and say, if you hear of a need, take care of it. Here's, here's the resources for that. Now that's nuts. That is not how we think today. Like, can you imagine... Someone being like, hey, you know what I heard? Um, somebody's house was in bad shape. And you have a farmer say, I heard somebody's house was in bad shape. So I sold off some of my farmland so that we could fix it up their house? Like, that's like, what? No, that doesn't happen. Like, that's an extreme example of somebody who has a lot giving to somebody who maybe needs help. But that's what we see here. People selling property, selling houses. This means the top tier of society, the richer people who had more selling what they had to share with those who had needs. That's the beautiful care that we see. And they were able to accomplish something so mind-boggling. It's the first line there. There was not a needy person among them. Where is that being able to be said anywhere in the world, that there's no needy people? Well, it's supposed to be something that's said about every church of Jesus around the world. 
that there's not a needy person in the church because we take care of our brothers and sisters. And so one thing that should be happening is that we should not have to imagine a place where no needs exist. The church should be that place where no needs exist. Where, where no one goes hungry, where no one struggles to make rent, where no one can't pay their electric bill or their water bill, where no one who needs medical treatment skips it because they can't fully afford it, where no one who walks through a, no one is walking through seasons of anxiety or depression or, or some other illness alone. We just meet those needs. That's supposed to be a natural, reflexive part of following Jesus because we agape one another and we Philadelphia one another in a beautiful, beautiful way that reflects the love of Jesus. So that's the first reason why I think we should give to the local church. Second reason is because we are given work to do. And as unfortunate as it is, ministry often requires money to reach people, to travel to reach people, to share the gospel with people. It is an unfortunate part of the world we live in, but we are to work together. Oh, I forgot, I went back. We are to work together to fund the mission of Jesus. That's the way this works. Some examples. When we do VBS, it's one of the more expensive things that we do every year, which is strange because we make everything out of cardboard boxes and butcher paper, at least this one, um, but, but it, can, the, it can be expensive. And, but yet what, what we have the opportunity to do is be a presence in our community, invite people in, show them that church isn't a hateful, mean, scary place, which is what a lot of people think, and say, no, we just want to show you a better way that Jesus has his, his hands open to you with. We want to show you something better. Um, student ministry is also one of the ministries to, that can be expensive. Because they're go- every student that comes in is like a little garbage disposal, and like it's like $20 in food goes away every time one student walks in the building. And so that can be expensive to take them to um, some like CIY events. That can be kind of expensive. It can just be one of those things. But again, we have the opportunity through student ministry to reach into a life at like the most formative years and say, hey, all that messaging that our culture's throwing at you, There's a better way than all of that confusion, and it's the way of Jesus, and it's going to be better for you in the long run. Uh, We also have all of our mission partners that we support. we got some awesome um, organizations that we support that do things in our community, like the food pantry. We're on the other side of the world, Um, and it's a blessing to be able to give to them and to watch their ministry work, to watch them do what they do. Sometimes the money that you give here gets given out to buy groceries for a family in the area. Uh, Sometimes it's going to go to help college students connect with Jesus for the first time. Uh, Some of it's going to go so that kids can be adopted into a loving, faith-based home. Sometimes it's going to go for medical supplies in India. I mean, it just is really amazing how God set up his church to work so that Not only do we get to care for one another in our building, but Christians even across the globe kind of form this interconnected network where we can start to bless one another as well. And so when we talk about why we as Christians need to give to our church, I'm not coming at this from a self-serving angle. Yes, there are plenty out there who make lofty promises of miraculous healing if you just put a little more in their collection um, or something like that, but then you're like, it looks like you're spending your money on fancy suits and ridiculous mansions, but that's not what's going on here. Those people are wrong that do that. They are wolves in sheep's clothing, preying on others for their own benefit. But the real churches of Jesus simply want to share the love of Jesus, whether that is by taking care of the needs of those in their midst or by showing that love in the various ways that we can in our community. And so Jesus was generous to us. 
He held nothing back in his generosity for you and for me. He was willing to give his life and die on a cross so that we could have eternal life and eternal riches forever and ever and ever. He gave everything for us. And so now when we follow in his footsteps, we are called to actually follow in his footsteps and be people of radical generosity, whether that is with our time, our energy, our stuff, and yeah, even our money. But money's always going to be one of the harder things to give away. That's probably why Jesus talked about money more than he did heaven or hell, which we don't like to think about. But the reason he did is because I don't want to give away my money. That Switzerland trip is calling my name. Standing under that like half a mile tall waterfall, feeling the mist on my face. Like, I, like there's a part of me that wants that. My desires want that. But Jesus wants me to desire better things. Yeah, maybe someday I'll end up going there, maybe. But that shouldn't be my goal. My goal should be something better. And so the collective generosity of a church, when you put it together, even a smaller church like ours, when we put our collective generosity together, it becomes a powerful thing. The power to ensure that everyone is cared for properly and the power to continue our mission to reach the world for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that we get to follow in the image of Jesus, that we get to be a people who are generous. And I pray that we would be generous in every way that we possibly can, not just with money, but even in the small ways. We'd be generous with kindness, that we would be generous with our time, so that even in a moment when we see somebody maybe struggling in line at the grocery store, we just help them, whether they need help scanning their groceries or just help because they dropped something on the ground. Or it's a mom who's got a rowdy kid and they just need somebody to take a minute and just give them a hand. I pray that we'd be generous. And I pray that every moment of our lives we would, we would just desire to give ourselves away because that's who we follow. We follow Jesus who gave himself. He spent his ministry giving everything away to, to pour out everything he had so that his apostles might be shaped and, and remade into his image. He gave everything he had so that people would be healed and know the grace and mercy of your love rather than the, the hard, unforgiving rules of the Pharisees of the day. He gave everything so that our sins might be taken away through his sacrifice on the cross. And I just pray that we would every day wake up, look at the generosity you've shown us through Jesus, be in awe of it, and just want to go out and and pour out that generosity to others. So help us to be transformed. Give us a desire to give, a desire to be generous. Again, not just with money, but also with money, so that we can be a people who everywhere we go, our generosity reflects the generosity of our Savior. And we thank you for that opportunity, because more people need to hear and know about this great love. And I just pray that by our generosity, we shine that light everywhere we go. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.